Hey, it's Christmas time. Oh dear, but so good to have you here together with us this morning in the house of God. And uh, those of you that are joining us online, you're welcome as well. We're so glad that you tuned in this morning. Before I um, uh, get into the message this morning, I'd like to just take a moment and um, uh, emphasize for a, uh, just a bit the importance of our giving. How many of you realize this is the giving season? Isn't it? I mean, we give all kinds of things, and I know that can put a strain on budgets and, and the like. But um, really, uh, I, I can't tell you, since we've come back, um, um, you know, to gathering together, if you notice we don't pass the baskets anymore, or we don't, we're, we're not doing all that, we place a very low uh, emphasis on something that has a very high importance. And so I just wanted to uh, encourage you. There's different ways of giving. Uh, if you're online, uh, joining us today, um, the different methods are there for you. And, and of course, the giving box is in the back, and we don't need to go through all of that. But I, I, just from my heart to yours, thank you. I appreciate your faithful giving. You are a blessing. Give God praise. Would you do it? Amen. Praise God. Well, Christmas season is here. Do I need to release kids? Do I have, yep. Uh, let's, let's release the kids. Christmas season is here, and uh, our family has certain traditions, as I'm sure that your family has um, traditions as well. But um, our, our traditions always include the assurance that we are mentioning and talking about the um, true meaning of the holiday. Um, I think it's, it's important that uh, we recognize. I mean, nobody loves decorations more than I do. I love them. I enjoy the festivities. I enjoy the food. I enjoy every, every part and parcel about Christmas. But uh, one of the things that I have striven to do over my life is to emphasize the, the true meaning of Christmas. And so, um, I mean, it's the greatest uh, love story that's ever been told. And so in our family, uh, we sit down to open up gifts. We begin to talk about that before we tear into and enjoy the, the, the day. We, we talk about the true meaning and the spirit of Christmas. I mean, it is incumbent upon every parent that they teach their children the value and the importance of the greatest story that's ever told. I mean, this is the greatest love story ever written. How the creator, God who created us. I mean, if you can wrap your mind just around that concept of God that created us, loved us so much that he came to earth as a child, born in a stable, and, um, uh, and he did that so that he could bear the sins of all of us, carry those sins, and uh, bring us into a point of salvation. And so uh, it's so important that you do that, because if you don't, if you allow it just to the church, I'll tell you what, the children will never develop a faith that's stable, that's secure, that they can build their lives on. Now, we're talking today, and Pastor Adam just mentioned that this is the beginning of a new series, our Christmas series. It's entitled Stable Faith, and I was excited uh, just in, in, in coming up with this talking through this and seeing this as our theme. Stable faith, of course, it's a play on words. We recognize Jesus was born in a stable, and so it brings that Christmas element in, but it also brings up the importance of the fact that, um, that, that stable 
means something so much more than that. A stable faith. The, the definition for stability or stable is not likely to fall or give way as a structure, support, foundation, etc., but something that's firm, that's steady, that's able and likely to continue or last. Firmly established, enduring, uses the word permanent. And so when we talk about stable faith, that's what we strive for here at, um, at Elevate Ministries, that we would minister in such a way that we would build disciples in such a way that they would have a permanent, enduring, not uh, steady, something that's not going to fall, a stable faith. Uh, and, and that faith then would see us through all the twists and the turns of life. And this is why we exist in uh, this church existed. We want to win people to Christ. Did you hear it? We sang about it today, appreciated so much what Bryn was speaking. We want to win them to Christ, then we want to build them into disciples. Uh, and, and so, so critical that they find, every individual finds their divine purpose in God. So to that end, let, let's open this series. And I'm going to begin uh, with a very familiar Christmas story. I'm going to actually read it the King James Version and have it for you on the King James Version because it's so uh, ingrained in many of our minds. Let me read it if I could. It says that it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. So she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, or we could say a stable, because there was no room for them in the inn. Isn't that a a marvelous story when you stop and think about it? Jesus' entry into the world came in a stable. What a profound statement that makes to you and I. Because Jesus came for broken humanity. He wasn't born into a place of privilege or, or, or honor. Instead, not into a castle, but instead he was born in a lowly manger so that he could relate to us in every way. And so he came that we could be saved. Now, I don't know if you have ever experienced that, that, that born-again thing that happens in life. I pray that you have, because we know that when we're born again, we become Christians. And Christians uh, is, is something, uh, being a Christian is something that is really supernatural. We don't think of it in that term. I know that many times people uh, uh, think about uh, being a Christian and it's a choice that they make of a religious choice that, that, that they uh, uh, adhere to, of that, that, uh, to that faith. But I would tell you something, it's so much more than that. It's, it's so much more than having a religious affiliation that you're a part of. It goes way beyond that. Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians, that if any person is in Christ, they become 
brand new creation. Old things are passed away. Everything becomes new. And when, we, when you think about that, you, you really realize that, that God does a miracle, a Christmas miracle, we could say, in that he comes into the heart of an individual. But the reality is, as scripture describes it, that that supernatural thing that happens inside of our lives, we're new on the inside, but literally nothing changes on the outside initially. That, that our emotional makeup, that all the things that we've been through in our life, that, that all remains the same. We look the same, uh, even though we have had a supernatural experience on the, out, on the inside. And so God says that you and I have to work out our own salvation. We have to work on the outside, on our emotional makeup and our uh, uh, in, in the way we handle issues and stuff in our lives. We work out our own salvation and we do that the only way that we can. This is by faith. Amen. See, when we come to Christ, each of us come with our own baggage. I'm looking for an amen there. I mean, we come with our own uh, background of uh, uh, hurts that we've encountered in our life, betrayals maybe that we've suffered through in our life, attitudes that we've developed that, that's, that are maybe not very godly, and uh, habits that we have fallen into. And so we've even developed language, the way that we speak or express ourselves. And, and literally much of that, if not all of that, is not righteous. It comes from a, a, a place of hurt, and this baggage creates in our lives instability. James begins to describe it this way. He says, when you're unstable, you're unstable in all your ways. And so it just kind of undermines the faith that we have and uh, kind of causes a shaking of, of our salvation experience. And so these issues are left for each one of us individually to work out in our lives. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says it like this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, it's incumbent upon you and me in my life that we work through the issues and the problems and the baggage of our past. We've got the power in us, but we've got to work on the outside. So how do we do that? How do we work out our own salvation? And of course, the answer is we have to learn to live our lives by responding in faith to God's word and God's promises. We can't operate the way we used to. The anger, the bitter, you know, all the stuff that comes into our life. We can't operate by our feelings, our, our emotion. We have to respond, learn to respond in faith to what God said in his word. In Galatians chapter two, and verse 20, you may be familiar. It says, Paul writes and says, I've been crucified with Christ, but no longer is it I who live, but now Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by what? By faith, you see. What happens is, as Paul said, I've received the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit at my salvation. I'm a new creation. But he said, I've got to work out that salvation. I've got to realize that now the life that I'm living, it's no longer what the way I used to live, and I've got to live it now by faith. Amen. So Christianity is not natural. It's not the natural state. We have a human nature. Thank God we also have a Christ 
nature or a spiritual nature. And it is not easy to live our life swimming upstream from society, which is ungodly. We're called to love when we've got a lot of unlovable people that are there. We're called to forgive when people hurt us or wrong us. We're called to be generous when everybody else is trying to hold on to everything that they can. We've got to live out the truth that we speak in our lives. We can't say one thing and live another. We've got to learn to implement the truth into our everyday life. This is where I see the biggest problem in Christianity today, church circles where many have actually, while they call themselves Christians, have actually departed from biblical Christianity, justifying ungodly behavior in their lives, tolerating lying and, 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 and impurity, tolerating anger and fear and all of these things that we know God says we're not to allow in our lives covering up our insecurities instead of opening ourselves up to God's word and working through these issues in our life, coming clean with God, taking not, not society's ways, but standing on the word of God, realizing his truth is the only truth that there is. Understanding we cannot espouse what the world says, what the educational system is trying to download, or the politics are trying to download, but we're to stand with an unshakable faith. We must develop a stable faith, faith that's rooted, grounded, established in one thing, the Word of God. How do we do that? Well, that's done as we learn to live by faith. Colossians chapter 2, 6 and 7, and I taught from here on Wednesday evening at our Wednesday evening service where there the Bible says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's that supernatural thing I'm talking about, the power of Christ that's in us. As you've received Christ, now you have to walk in him, rooted in ground that established in the faith as you've been taught. Think about that. That word walk means to progress. So that as you have received Christ, born again, the beginning stages of your Christian experience, that's wonderful. But now you've got to progress. You've got to grow. And how do we do that? The Bible goes on to say there, as you have been taught. And so this is where I see the issues that are coming up in so many uh, 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 cases where people have not been taught to live for God in every aspect of their life. So I want to look at stable faith today, how we develop that in, in, in a sense, but also I've highlighted three areas that undermine in our lives, each of our lives, the stable faith that we need to endure. The first one that I've identified is hardships. And I find this is one of the biggest uh, uh, problems today in churches, Christianity, Bible teaching, because what happens is, it is so much easier to preach about the blessings of God than it is to talk about the hardships that we are going to go through in our lives. And I'm afraid when there is a, uh, an emphasis only on the blessings of God, that what happens is we do not prepare people for the difficulties they're going to encounter in their lives. 
for some reason, people think, okay, now that I've given my heart to Christ, that's the end of my problems. Everything's going to work out because, well, Jesus is inside of me, though nothing's going to, to, going to happen. But friends, listen, God does bless us. Thank you, Jesus. And I love to minister on the blessings and the promises of God. They're so critical to our lives. But let me just tell you something. Life is hard. Amen. That you and I are going to encounter in our lives hardships, trials, problems that are going to come. And we have to develop a stable faith that when the shaking is transpiring, that you and I are built upon something rock solid that will not be shaken. Peter, I mean, the, the, the main man, the, the guy that was right next to Jesus, he says this in 1 Peter 4 and 12, Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is going to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. What he's literally saying there is that you and I have to understand that while we have Jesus, while we have the power of God in our lives, that will not uh, keep us from going through fiery trials, as he says. We're going to go through things in our life. And he says, don't ask God, why is this thing happening to me? This doesn't sound right. Because he goes on to tell us that life is going to give us difficulties uh, and hardships. Amen. Think for a moment about some of the difficulties that were a part of the Christmas story and that were faced by Jesus's parents. I mean, we know that they were engaged and I don't know uh, how much time I'd like to spend there, but, but, but they had not yet had sexual relationship. And so all of a sudden we know that there is a pregnancy and uh, you can just imagine the kind of stress or pressure that would have been a part of that community and, and of course, that couple that, that now Mary is pregnant and uh, not yet married. And so you can think about how, what that would cause. And we know that, that, that beyond that, they were going to travel. And so they, they, they get through that first issue and now they're going to travel. I find it to be about 90 miles on a donkey. And the Bible says Mary was, what, great with child. I'm not sure exactly what that means in the original language. It probably means she was huge. Amen. And so she's sitting on this donkey, and she's traveling 90 miles across desert. I'm telling you right now, that's got to be a hardship. And then we know they were going for the purpose of being taxed. In other words, there's going to be financial issues and problems that are in front of them that they're going to have to face. And when they finally get there through all those hardships, what we realize is they're turned away from the place where they could uh, 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 give birth naturally. Instead, they're put into a stable, an outdoor stable, and I'm sure... It had to happen in Mary's life, in Joseph's life. They're thinking, man, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Where's God in all this? Has he abandoned us? Has he forgotten about us? It would have been easy to feel abandoned by God. Can I get an amen on that? But what kept them going was the promises that they had from God. In Luke chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary, delivers a promise. It says, now the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, 
Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And so the angel delivers the promise. You are blessed amongst all the women of the world. You have been chosen. You are blessed. And so she's going through all these crises, all these problems. What kept her going was a stable faith. Instead of looking at the issues and the problems, the financial issues, instead she lifted her eyes and she said, no, I have a promise. I'm blessed of God. Doesn't matter what it looks like right now. I'm going to hold on to the promises of God. Stable faith. For Joseph, Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, in other words, divorce her, put her away, he was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she's going to bring forth a son, and you, Joseph, will call his name Jesus, because he's going to save your people from their sins. And so Joseph, I'm sure, walking that donkey and, 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 and you know, no place to, to put his wife to deliver a child and, and, and wondering, how am I going to take care of this taxation that's coming upon me? All these issues and problems they're facing, uh, what we know is he had a promise from God. And that promise was, this is going to be a, a child born to Mary, and it's going to be a child that's going to save the world from their sins. You're going to get to name him. There's a promise uh, that the world is going to be blessed because of the trials and problems that they were going to go through. Today, what we see instead of this is that people uh, that have given their hearts to Christ, even many that have become actually born again, at the first sign of trouble, they fall away. You try to find them and, and you to follow up on them, and they go, "Well, you know, uh, uh, just, Christianity just didn't work for me. I mean, uh, I got saved. I gave, you know, Jesus. If Jesus loved me, He would never let me go through this. Uh, but, but, but instead, what needs to be done there is a, a, the teaching of a stable faith." That crises are going to come, hardships are going to be a part of our life, and what we've got to do is develop and stand upon the promises that God has given each one of us. We have precious promises. Can I hear you say amen? I love the Apostle Paul as he approached hardships like, well, none of us have ever faced. But in in 2 Corinthians 4.8, he says, we're hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but... We're not in despair. And so he kept from getting discouraged by an attitude, recognizing uh, that even though these problems and hardships are coming my way, I know that God's going to see me through because I've got something to base my life upon. How did they keep from getting discouraged? Well, they developed a stable faith. They got their promises. They they kept the promises of God in front of them. You know, there's a quote that I've used from time to time. I've kind of uh, ordered my life around it, and that is this, that life is easier when you realize it's hard. And I think this is what's missing in a lot of the Christian Bible teachings today. If we always are talking about the blessings of God, 
We don't realize that there's going to come these issues. This needs to be taught. We need to understand that. Life is going to deal you some unexpected things. But don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. But rejoice inasmuch as you're allowed to be a partaker of the, the, the problems of Christ. Realize that these fiery trials are coming and just hold on to the promises of God. You know, to enjoy a stable faith, we have to develop an understanding that we live in a fallen world. I mean, that's the Bible description. We are, as Christians are not exempt from problems. We're called to embrace problems, realize that we have been called to overcome those problems. Paul did it as he spoke it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, for our light affliction. And I, 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 I hesitate because he's talking about light afflictions like imprisonments and beatings and stonings and persecution and all the things that he went through. His attitude was, for my light affliction, is just for a little while, just for a moment. And it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We don't look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which we are seeing, what we're going through, they're temporary. But the things, the blessing of God, the promises of God, well, they're eternal, and they will last forever. We have to be taught that trials, difficulties, problems, hardships are a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to realize that second Timothy, Paul writes that you must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I have the word must underlined and circled in my Bible because we must. It is a part of our life. Second area I'd like to, to, to highlight that kind of undermines uh, our faith, causes instability in our walk, is the thought of persecution. Could you say that word with me? Persecution. So easily related to hardships. But I mean, this is like hardships on steroids. It goes way beyond the normal things that happen in our lives because this is individuals or people that are intentionally coming against us, slandering our character, putting us down solely because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we hold on to Christianity, biblical Christianity. Now, we're beginning to experience some of this here in the United States. It's not always been that way. I know that as a youngster, and I was growing up in this country, being a Christian was a good thing. I mean, it was looked at as very positive, very, very um, uh, uh, admirable to be a good Christian man or a good Christian woman. But today, I mean, Christianity is being mocked. People are coming against the very concept of the church. We're seeing it acted out in front of us. But still, we're able to gather here this morning. Aren't you glad of that? But in many parts of the world, just to gather together to worship, to do what we do freely here, there's going to be persecution and even death. And we should educate ourselves that in much of the world, in the Muslim world, in the Hindu world, in the, in the uh, communist or socialistic nations, just calling on the name of Jesus or just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ can cause problems. Last year, 2,983 people were killed just because they called on the name of Jesus Christ. 
Do you know that 9,488 churches were burned to the ground just because there were Christian people that were lifting up the name of Jesus? And so you and I recognize persecution is a rampant in much of our world, and it's coming here to the United States of America, and we've got to prepare ourselves to be persecuted against. Persecution means to pursue with harassing or oppressive treatment, especially because of religious or political beliefs. So literally what we realize is that means that people actually would pursue. We would be pursued simply because of our faith. Peter says in the fifth chapter and eighth verse, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking, looking for those that he can devour. Now, he's not talking about a literal lion that's coming after us. He's not talking about Satan uh, in, the, in, the, in the flesh that's coming out. He's talking about that spirit, that spirit of persecution that is in the world, that antichrist spirit, uh, and it's going to come against us looking to undermine, destroy us simply because we believe in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. The enemy of our soul hates Christians. And so if you are a Christian, let me just tell you something. Satan hates you. That spirit hates you. And it's going to manifest itself to come against you and persecute you. Jesus sat down with his disciples in the 15th chapter and began to teach them this. And he said, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world as a result, it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they're going to persecute you. And if they had listened to me, then they would listen to you. Now, persecution we see even in the Christmas text. Because Jesus was persecuted by that spirit, that evil spirit, all the days of his life. In Matthew's account, the Bible says that wise men were following the star of Bethlehem to point the way to the birth of the Messiah, the King. And they'd seen the signs in the heavens and they came into Jerusalem looking for information. And when Herod found out, instantly he was filled with a rage. He wanted to destroy. He wanted to kill the Son of God. And so God warned Joseph, and he said, you need to be careful because that spirit is going to come to persecute, to destroy you. You need to flee to Egypt. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, get up, flee to Egypt with the child Jesus and, your, and his mother. And the angel said, stay here until I, stay there rather, until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to church, search for the child to kill him. He goes on in the 16th verse and said, Herod was so furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him that he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on that report from the wise men. And so that's, Spirit was so violent, so persecuted, that it would actually go in and cause Herod to send out 
soldiers to destroy, to kill all children two years old and under to try to kill the Son of God. Listen to me. That same spirit that enraged Herod is active right here in the United States of America today. Amen. I remember Bonnie was, went to lunch one day with April Campos here from our church, and they went to the little uh, mall there right by our house, and they had gone into Olive Garden for lunch, and when they came out, there was a homeless lady that, well, she's still there to this day. And that, that, that homeless lady began to, uh, Bonnie and, 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 and April were just standing there talking, just, just communicating, and all of a sudden this homeless person that was on the street turned around and came in and began to come after them, began to harass them. And, and so what is that? Well, that, well that's persecution. I've, I've, I've seen it happen to, in my life over and over and over again just witnessing to people or sharing with people, and they come back with a violence and an anger to, 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 to come against you. And so we understand something, that Joseph, uh, uh, Joseph didn't respond to the persecution that came against him. He just followed the angelic uh, uh, warning and obeyed. All he did was continue to do what was right. Peter suffered persecution. And so he writes and he tells us, he instructs us, this is how you deal with persecution. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, never deceived anyone, he did not retaliate when they insulted him, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Now this is a picture of stable faith. What we see here is when persecution comes, it's easy to take up your battle against uh, somebody that's persecuting you. It's difficult not to, but stable faith says, I recognize that I am going to be persecuted. Jesus said so, and so what I'm going to do is I'll endure it, and I'm going to hold on to God. God will take care of all this. He's the one that justifies everything. Now, this is not easy to do. Can I hear you say amen? When I get persecuted against... And it happens, I, the first thing that happens, it, it rises up inside me. I want to take matters into my own hands. But this is not what we're called to do. We're to handle God's, we're to handle persecution God's way. Now, let me read this. Peter goes on to say, 1 Peter 3. It's in the message translation. A little bit lengthy, but it's really worth a listen to. Follow it. If with heart and soul you're doing good, do you think you can be stopped? Even if you suffer for it, you're still better off. Don't give the opposition a second thought. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention, in adoration before Christ your master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are, and always with the utmost courtesy. Keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing that they're the ones who need a bath. It's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to be punished for doing bad. That's what Christ did definitively. 
He suffered because of our sins, others' sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous. He went through it all, was put to death and made alive to bring us to God. And so you and I have to learn, even in persecution, you and I must stand with a stable faith, recognizing God judges all this. He works all that out. It's not up to us. Now, there's a third area that I want to look at this morning, and this is a, to me, it's a troubling trend that I see happening within Christianity today. And it, it is called, I, I would call it victim, having a victim mentality. A victim mentality. It's kind of subtle, if, if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, we can sit in church and we can espouse Christianity and then yet develop this thing that we call a victim mentality. And, and, and with all the hardships that we go through and all the perse- persecution that comes, it is easy to at times feel sorry for ourselves. I'm looking for an amen on that. Because all of us have felt that. And we must realize that, that, that we can become an, a victim. We understand that. We can uh, uh, be a victim of a crime. I, it's, it's happened to me, probably you as well. We can get ripped off. We become a victim in a situation like that or a sexual assault. And it's, it's, it's normal to some degree to begin to feel bad, feel sorry for ourselves, like we've been victimized. But if that develops and becomes a victim mentality, what happens is you begin to see your entire life through this this prism that the world is stacked against you. Everybody's against me. I, I don't even have a chance. And so what happens is continuously you feel sorry for yourself. And, and, and what's more is you, you want others to feel sorry for you too. And so you want people to know, I've been victimized. Everybody takes advantage of me, and, and, and people have neglected me. People have overlooked me, and, and people are against me. And, and what you want is, what, what, what a person has got this kind of a thought, they want people to agree with them. And, and, and they actually will troll for sympathy. Like, I've, I've been hurt. This is a terrible thing that's happened in my life. And, and, and so what happens is if we fall into that we, we undermine a basic faith that we have in Jesus Christ because this is the opposite of Christian believers that are supposed to stand in faith. We don't blame others for our problems. Can I hear you say amen? Instead, we stand up and we say, I'm going to overcome these issues in my life. See, we were created to take charge of our lives. Let me just say that again. I want it to sink in. You were created to take charge of your lives. There are going to be issues. I understand that. But you and I have to take responsibility for every challenge that comes our way. Galatians chapter 1, verse 26. Again, message translation. God spoke. And he said, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said, prosper, reproduce, fill earth. 
take charge. Be responsible for the fish of the sea, on and on and on. So literally what he's saying is God created us to take responsibility for our lives. I'm moved by a a statement that was made by T.D. Jakes. I mean, a man who has become one of the most well-known speakers in the, in the, in the world, literally. And, and, and from a difficult upraising, his mother said this, my mom always told me, how long you gonna play the victim? Thank God for a mother that wouldn't let her son feel sorry for himself, who wouldn't let him say, yep, the world's stacked against me, I'll never amount to anything, everybody's against me. He went on to say, he says, I can stay mad, I can hate everything, but nothing really changes until I change myself. Listen to me, victimization is seeing things as negative, beyond your control, as something that you should be given sympathy for. Every time something happens to you, that you deserve better. But really what it is, It becomes a way of avoiding taking responsibility for your life. If you believe you don't have power to change your circumstances, you're not believing what God said in his word. What we have to do is take stock of our our circumstances and rise up, not blaming others, but make the adjustments that we need to make so that we can overcome every issue that comes against our lives. Roll up your sleeves. Peter says it this way. By his divine power, listen to it. God has already, in the original, uh, the, the, the original verbiage here, he says God has already given us everything we need for a godly life. He's already given it to us. We have received all of this simply by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself. That's the, the supernatural part of Christianity. He gave it to us when we received Christ, is what he's saying. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us what? Great and precious. What's he given us? Say it out. Promises. And those promises enable us to share his divine nature and overcome the world. That's what he's saying there. And so Isaiah the prophet said it this way, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He goes on to say, this is the heritage of the servant of the Lord. And so you and I have to understand something. It doesn't matter what comes against us. It doesn't matter who comes against us. It doesn't matter how bad it sounds. We have been given everything we need to overcome every circumstance in our life. This is what I've learned to do. When people come against me or speak of, to come against me in a, in a way that hurts me, what I've learned to do is first look at myself. I usually want to get mad at whoever comes says something about me. But I, I begin to think, is that true? Is there an element of truth to what they're saying? How could I have done it better? How could I have uh, uh, worked that situation out better? And so I can... Continue as I've received Christ, so progress in him. How can I, how can I improve? Now, sometimes that's not the case. I understand that. But you and I have to understand something. We must take responsibility for our lives. Now, this is harder for some than it is for others. And I recognize it. Mainly because some have been raised in 
really rough situations. But God wants us to progress. He wants us to grow. And so if we keep saying, well, you know, uh, I've had this problem and that problem, and I was raised this way. If we keep falling back on that, it'll stop us from picking up the faith, the stable faith that we need. Don't listen to those that come alongside of you and tell you, poor baby, yes, you've been abused. Oh, it's horrible what you've had to go through. That's a bunch of garbage. Listen to somebody that'll come to you and say, hey, man, you can overcome this. This is what the Bible says. Maybe even correct you and say, this is what you can do to improve. Proverbs chapter 29 and 5 says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. In other words, he's actually entrapping him in a lifestyle. Proverbs 27, 5 says, better is an open reprimand of loving correction than love that is hidden. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Don't fall for it. Amen. Don't go after the sympathy. Learn to overcome. When you feel you're wronged, look inward first. You know what I'd like to see is today, if you've fallen into that, is you to make this declaration with me this morning that's on the overhead. Let today be the day you stop being a victim of your circumstances and take action towards the life that you want. Another way of saying that is take action on the promises that God has given to you. You have the power to overcome and you have the power to reshape your life. You have the power to break free from the poisonous mentality that wants to come of uh, we're a victim and instead embrace the truth of our greatness. And when I say our greatness, uh, it's not I any longer. I've been crucified with Christ, but now Christ is in me. And the greatness of you is that Jesus inside of you will overcome any problem. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God, I pray that's you this morning. If not, I'm going to give an opportunity for you to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. If I could add the theme of our series of messages that we'll be preaching in December are stable faith. A faith that's rooted, grounded, established on the Word of God. You know, we're entering the Christmas season, and with the Christmas season, we're always looking forward, ahead to what will be a new year. It's so important that as families, as a church, of course, but as families, that as Christmas season unfolds, that we sit down with our loved ones, children, and we begin to talk to them about what Jesus Christ came to do. When we talk about the difficulties, I mean, your children are come, my teacher did this, my, you know, the policeman said that, or this person spoke evil of me. Instead, if we just begin to come to a point in our life where we realize Jesus is in us, and we can do this, we can overcome the world.
face life head on. Pick it up. Father, we thank you this morning. The very truth of the Word of God. We're so grateful, Lord, that, that you are a God of blessing. That you've given blessing to us in so, so many ways. Father, we also recognize as we progress in our Christian walk that we need a faith that is not just there for the blessings, but a faith that's there in the hardships of our life, times of persecution, times of trial that seem to overwhelm us, where we begin to feel that you've abandoned us. We need a, a stability in our faith, a stability that helps us to overcome. And so, Father, this morning as we open our hearts to hear from you, I pray that the words that you have given us in the Bible, words that are designed to help us to build a rounded gospel, a recognition that when trials come, we're not to blame others, we're not to blame you, Instead, Father, we're to hold on to your promises, your great and precious promises. Lord, you said in the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1, you said, For with God nothing is or ever shall be impossible. Father, as a Christian believer, we embrace that truth, that no opposition is going to prosper over us. And ultimately, we've read the end of the story. We know that we're the winners in this. So, Father, I pray that you help us, each of us, to learn, to understand, to grow, to face everything that life sends our way. And as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just for a, a brief moment, maybe you found your way to our service today, and I pray that's true. That, that someone invited you to come and be with us. And maybe, maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never embraced the greatest love story that's ever been told, that, that God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus in the form of humanity. Came as a baby, born in a stable, difficult circumstances. But he came to it so that he could be tempted at all points, just like us, every way tempted the same. But he overcame that through faith. And now he says, your sin, I take upon myself. I, I will bear that for you, forgive you of all your sin. No matter what, what style, what shape it came in, I'll forgive you if you just acknowledge me. So with that said this morning, maybe you're here today and you've never experienced what I spoke of this morning as supernatural. Christianity is not coming to church. It's not joining a religious organization. Something so much more than that. It's having a supernatural encounter with the living God that changes us from the inside and allows us to work out the issues on the outside. If that's you this morning, maybe you would quickly just to kind of raise a hand up and put it right back down and you'd acknowledge this that I'm unsaved. I, I've, never, I've never experienced my sins forgiving. 
But I need that. I need that in my life. I need a new start in my life. Would there be one? Would there be one? Jesus. He loves you so. The great love story I'm talking about, the Christmas story, just exemplifies how, to what length, God went to to show his love. This morning is uh, our missions Sunday, and um, we're gonna maybe turn up the lights just a bit. We're gonna, I, I, uh, we have a an issue that's come up that is kind of a tragedy, really. And um, this, you know, when the wind was howling here on Thursday night in Tijuana, there in the Fundadoras uh, uh, area. As you're looking at our church building, many of you have seen it. You're looking at our church building there, up to the right-hand side, uh, up that hill, same place where the flooding hit so hard and people, people's homes were damaged, a fire broke out. And with that wind that was howling, there was extreme danger. I've got pictures that, um, that, that would kind of exemplify this right behind our church. That, that wind began to whip those fires. Just go through those a little bit, those pictures. Um, uh, you, you can see what happened. People escaped just with nothing. You know, whatever pajamas they were wearing or night clothes they were wearing, it happened it, late at night. And so these people are now homeless. You can see some of them on the side uh, against the walls. Many of them living on their burnt out property at the area. And all 65 homes were destroyed, of which two were members of our church that, that were completely destroyed. And so what happened was, as, as this uh, unfolded, of course, it's heartbreaking for these families, but what happened is, is um, our church, that right there in that picture, you see Raul, uh, that's uh, Pastor Raul's oldest son, and Bonnie, the, the, their youngest daughter, um, are surveying the damage. And they went, of course, heartbroken, but they determined that this was not going to be, this disaster would not go without a response. And so we began to embrace it as an opportunity. I mean, this is the community that we have preached in, done everything that we could do to win to Christ. And of course, we've won a, a lot of people to the Lord there, but, but now we have an opportunity not only to preach the gospel, but to be Jesus with skin on in a time of crisis. Isn't that what the Bible says? We're to love, not just with a word, but also with actions, with deeds. And so what's already happened is, and maybe you've seen the picture of the Elevate shirt. I pray it's there for you to see. Oh yeah, there it is. Our team responded quickly there from the church and they mobilized, they, they, they picked up from Mexican medical which is an organization there in, in San Diego. They picked up blankets and beanies and you know clothing, and uh, they picked up a few food boxes, one of which you see there, to try to help people. But, but I got a call from Lupita, and she says, you know, we've tapped everything that we know to tap, and the, the, the problems, the, the need is just immense. She said, these people are sleeping uh, in the cold out I mean, they're homeowners, they, they're just good people, but they have nothing. And she says, what is in my heart to do, she says, is I want to provide 
one warm meal a day. They need a warm meal. And I want to be able to greet them in the morning with hot coffee and oatmeal. And she says in order to do that for 65 families, the, the number she worked out the math, she says it's, it, it's, it's, it's very costly. For three days, it's over $2,000, $2,250. And she called and she says, is there anything that our mother church can do to, to help in this time? And of course, I responded, of course we can. We, we will respond. So I've already committed to send $1,000, but I told her, I said, look, we're going to have a missions offering. We're going to receive tomorrow. It's the, it's the normal day, and we will respond beyond that as we can. It's also in my heart, uh, in, the, in the first service, um, uh, Nemi, one part of a member of our congregation came up after the missions offering, and he said, I have uh, all kinds of blankets and uh, uh, caps and mugs and things that I can give, um, uh, and, and it's already in our heart that I don't want to just send money. Sending money is good. I mean, it's necessary. It's what they need right now to be able to, to help these families. But we need to, as well, go and be a part of that. And so I'm not sure how that'll work out yet. This has just happened. But um, uh, we're going to uh, figure that out. And if you'd like to be a part of that, I, I, I'd like you to uh, let someone know so that we have an idea of who would like to go. I mean, we'd have to do it sometime this, uh, this week or maybe next. I, I mean, I don't have the particulars of that, but if you'd like to be a part of that, to actually go and help as well, the cooking or preparation or the serving, uh, that would be absolutely cool. But right now, uh, you know, as we were receiving the missions offering, I, uh, I, I came prepared uh, before yesterday when all this started coming to light uh, to tell you that we've responded again to Africa, Ghana, Africa, to help them in their Christmas season, all the needs that they have. We've given extra money, already sent that. But this has come on us, and, and, and like I say, we should respond. Hard for us. It's hard for me, I can say that, to live in a nice, comfortable home and realize that people that we've been preaching to and ministering in the love of God to not help and not respond. So we're going to receive an offering this morning. And again, we don't pass the, the, the pans or the buckets, but, you know, God knows. God sees all things. In the back of our church, we have two blue lit-up boxes for giving. There's envelopes there so that we can attribute that to you. But I, I think it would be a good thing to do in the Christmas season. Normally to give to missions, that's always a good thing. But especially in this time, to stand with our pastor Raul and his wife Lupita Barajas and reach out to that community and believe God for revival. That out of destruction comes opportunity. And as we respond to opportunity, Oh, what God can do. And so I'd like to pray with you this morning. And uh, maybe you would participate in this missions offering. We know you can do that online, the different ways that you can give. Uh, I won't go through all those, but as well, you can give in the, in, the, in the boxes. If you're online and you'd like to help us with this, praise the Lord for that. We appreciate that. I know that the people there in Tijuana would appreciate that as well. 
But let me pray with you, Father, in the name of Jesus. God, we are Bible-believing Christians. And by that, Father, we, that means we've been born again. We have your spirit inside of us. And so, Father, our hearts are moved at this moment as this community suffered this violence of fire, destruction. And Father, we're determined that we can do something about that. So we stand with our church in Tijuana. We stand with them in faith and giving to help us, to help these people through this crisis in their lives. So Father, we thank you that you would open the door for not just food and uh, necessary items, but God, that would translate into souls that would see Christ in action on the ground, the church in action on the ground. Father, I ask you to give us revival in that community like we've never experienced there before. In the name of Jesus, we come together together to meet this need and we thank you in the most precious name in the universe, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. A blessing upon you as you depart. We thank you for your giving. You're a, you're, you're a blessed people as we honor the Lord.